6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Exodus 20:12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Romans 8, 14 to 16, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us, and then let's, uh, let's talk about this. Father God, through our earthly parents, whether they are great influences on our lives or painful influences on our lives. Father, would you do a good work of using them to show us you? Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I just alluded to it. Even if this room was a lot smaller, there was a lot less of you here. Our experiences of our parents and our families would probably be unique to each and every person in the room. So, for example, in a room like this, Some of you, if I said, how's your relationship with your parents, Um, you wouldn't have to think that long. You'd say, it's great or it's awesome. But if we sat down and had an hour to talk about it, there might still be a lot left to be desired. You're still able to hold your parents in appreciation and gratitude for them, but there's still a lot that you wished had gone differently. Maybe your posture towards them. Some of you, um, you would say you have a good relationship with your parents, but all that really means is there's nothing catastrophic on fire right now. Like, it could be worse kind of thing. Like, they never abused me or they never abandoned me, and that's what you mean. There's very low expectations, very low hopes. So what you mean that you have a good family situation is just it meets the bare bones requirements of not having the authorities involved or, or not being incredibly painful. Some have very painful relationships with parents or a mom or a dad. And I know even the title on the page can be very intimidating for you. You can feel like maybe the next 30 minutes uh, is a minefield and you're hoping you don't step on something that blows up or I don't say something that blows up. Some of you have an unbalanced relationship with your parents and it weighs heavily on you how close you are with your dad and how absent your relationship with your mom is. Some of you didn't grow up in a Western cultural context and 
not only do you feel like you have a little bit of a strained relationship with your parents, but none of your American friends or Western culture friends uh, understand even a bit of what home is like for you or what parent-child relationships were like where you grew up or where your family's from. And there's an added loneliness in that. Some of you compare your parents to other parents. Some of you, some of us were adopted. And maybe you feel a little bit trepidatious about this as you work through what family means to you, what mom and dad mean to you. Some of you have lost your mom or your dad. Some dads left, some moms left. Some moms or dads were not safe to be around. Some dads were deployed for a lot of the formative years of your life. That's the room. And if you don't feel many of those things, the people around you certainly do. Well, whatever you share of what I just said or something unnamed, here's what all of us share in common. The people who smile when they think of family or the people who cry when they think of family. We all have parents. Seems obvious, but it means we're all in this together. There's, this is immediately relevant to all of us because we all have a mom and a dad. Even if they're not still alive, we still have a relationship with them. We all have a complicated relationship with our parents. Even those of you who have a great relationship. Maybe your parents really pushed you to achieve, pushed you to have every opportunity, but as you've gotten older, you've realized the damage that's been done because of that like fork in your back to do more, be involved with more, achieve more, and even your good relationship with them, now you're seeing through a different lens. So we all have a complicated relationship with them, and we're also, all of us, called to honor our parents, regardless of the circumstance. That's a tall order. We're going to talk about that, but we're, we're all called to honor our parents. It should be apparent already that um, regardless of where we're at with mom and dad or family, uh, we're going to need a lot of help from God in hearing this. And it's a good it's a good situation because this is something he has a lot to say about. So let's start to dig into what's on your page, what Lauren read a moment ago. What are parents for? That seems like the most basic question to ask, but I think it's one we have to ask before we can get into what went wrong in the relationship, what does it mean to honor them, how would we honor them? What if they're bad? What if they're hard? What if they're dishonorable? First, we gotta say, what is a mom and a dad for in God's design? in the world. Deuteronomy 6, uh, it's just a few verses. This is not an exhaustive picture of parenting. This doesn't say it all. But in a pretty concise chunk, it does give us a picture of, a, a, a picture of what a mom and a dad, what God calls them towards, his vision for their role in their kids' lives. The immediate context of this passage, uh, God is speaking through Moses to people who had for 40 years, though they had been tested in the wilderness, they have tasted the grace of God. These are people who have experienced gospel, God's mercy. God has not treated them as their sins deserve. They are about to walk into the promised land. and They did not deserve that. If you've ever read anything in the Old Testament, you know they didn't deserve any of that. And here they are 
on the edge of the promised land, about to live their life in the presence of God, and they have tasted grace. And God is giving the parents among them vision for how to raise their little boys and their little girls in this new land with him. And he says this to all of them, and then he gets specific to parents. Love the Lord your God. Love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. God says through Moses, these commandments that I give you today, they're to be not just in your heads. We're not doing memorization flashcard work. I want to see them in your heart at at a level of intuition, at a level of your loves and your desires. And then he says this, parents, impress them, hands on, impress them, press in on them this call to love to desire, to delight in, to hunger for the Lord and to love others. Talk about this when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Skipping ahead of your verses, and then he says, in the future, when your son or your daughter asks you, hey dad, hey mom, why all these rules? Thou shalt, thou shalt not. What's with this? Tell them, son, Daughter, let me tell you about those. Let me tell you about those. We were slaves. We were dead in Egypt for 400 years. We prayed and cried our hearts out most nights. God heard our cries. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. This is gospel. That's what he's saying. When you lie down, when you wake up, mom and dad, when you're in the car on the way to soccer practice, when you're picking them up from school, when you're talking on the phone and they're six weeks into college, remind them of my goodness. Remind them that my right hand is strong and I deliver stuck people. Remind them of my grace. That's what he's saying. So here's here's the takeaway from that. God intends a family, intends a family or parents to be this immersive 24-7 all of life, head, heart, body, rhythms, formation factory. This whole person, all of life, immersive experience in grace. And again, not just rules, but the story of the gospel, the reality of the gospel. So uh, I've said this with you all before about different things, but they, they call study abroads immersive experiences, immersive learning experiences. And the reason why is because you are sent overseas and you are swimming night and day, waking and sleeping. You're swimming in the culture of another country. And you soak it up because it's all around you. Even when you're checked out, kind of just unwinding into the night, it's the background music from the neighbor's house. It's what's on TV. It's the paintings on the wall. It's everything. It's the accents of the people you live with. It's everything. It's all around you. It's immersive, and therefore, it gets in your bones, and it becomes part of you. That's what immersive experiences do, and that's what a family is intended to do. God intends the family to be a gospel culture that you get to swim in and soak up over the years. And you could say your, your mom and your dad were intended to be the swim instructors, Now, some of you are wondering already a very obvious question of like, this sounds like Ben's just talking about Christian families or moms and dads who believe in Jesus. But remember, there's only one God. 
or the Bible claims there's only one God, if that's confusing to you or something that you have a hard time swallowing, let's talk about it. But the Bible claims there's only one true and living God, and there's only one kind of human being, and it's a human being that he breathed life into, that he animates and holds alive. And so there's not like two versions of families that God is saying, here's track one, but if you don't believe in me, like here's track two. This is the call for everyone to be reconciled to him, everyone to know him, everyone to taste his grace and to train up their kids in this mercy and this grace. This does not mean there's good families that are Christian and bad families that are not. Moms and dads who believe none of this stuff can still pour their lives out for and love their kids, but that's to the glory of God because they're made in his image, right? But what we're talking about is, is, a, is for everybody and applies to everybody. So let me just unpack this a little bit, this immersive experience. The family and your parents aren't just a place or people where you're supposed to be taught that you live under God's authority. That would just be teaching. That'd be like study hall, but it's an immersive experience. You're swimming in the culture of the gospel. So what the family is and what parents are is where you're actually experiencing in real life what it's like to live under gracious, life-giving authority. Someone who has way more power than you, especially when you're younger, but uses it to serve you and prosper you, not to find ways to manipulate you into service. See that? You're supposed to experience that. It's not just where you're told you belong. It's where you're supposed to, over the years, begin to believe you belong because you've experienced belonging. You've dropped the ball. You've upset mom and dad. You've broken the family rules, but you didn't get kicked out. And it's a place where you've experienced the discipline of the Lord, the discipline of mom and dad, where they're like, hey, but you do live under my roof, and I actually care how you turn out. You're not going to turn out to be a garbage human being. You're going to turn out to be a lover of your neighbors. So we're not okay with how you talk to your sister. And there's going to be consequences for that because you live in a world where actions have consequences. You experience that. You experience, uh, you're not just told, son, you're a sinner. You experience through sibling rivalry, through disrespecting your mom and your dad and seeing the hurt that it caused by experiencing your parents' sin against you. You learn down to your bones at an intuitional level, wow, this is real. This isn't just like theology out there. Like I just, the way my mom just talked to me, man, that hurt. I got to bring that up. See, you're experiencing, you're immersed in it. And this isn't in a utopian, hermetically sealed family where it's just perfect. You see, even in the dark places, even in the sin, even the stepping on each other's toes, God is forming. He's teaching He's shaping. Even it's not a place just where we're taught that we're to forgive or taught what forgiveness is, but it's a place where, boy, this might be a rarity in this room, but did mom or dad ever come to you and say, oh, little Dalton, the way that I lost my temper, I've struggled with that for most of my life. I love you so much. I could see you were scared when I lost my temper. And it breaks my heart thinking about that now. I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? And would you help your dad or your mom? Would you help me? 
understand what impact this has on you? Do you think that would have a more formative effect on you of what forgiveness is, what it's like to receive it, what it's like to give it, than just being saying like, just, and I'm not against this, I'm just saying just a teaching, like family devotion, we're gonna have a little lesson on forgiveness. It's the both and. Total immersive experience where you're formed. That's what a family is intended to be. I think about this word impress. He says impress on your children. I think about like a baker. Uh, We had a lot of students who used to work at uh, independent bakery at Five Points. And I'd go in there on the weekends with the kids. Saturday mornings when everybody in the Five Points area kind of comes and gets their whatever, their Danish or their pastry or their loaf of bread. So we would go. All these bakers have this big wooden table in the back with this, all this dough, and they're just like punching this stuff, like kneading it with their fist, hands on. And they're working the yeast. They're working the yeast into the loaf. So they press in on it, and then they let it sit. They let it rise. As the passage says, they press in this grace, and then they sit at home. They let it rise, and then they press in. They need this grace a little more as they walk along the road. And then they let it sit, and they let the yeast do its thing. It rises, and then they knead it again. They press in on it again as they rise up and as they lie down, and the yeast keeps doing its thing, and it keeps transforming this dense ball of dough into this fluffy loaf of bread, a fundamentally different thing because of the effect that the yeast has on it and the baker pressing in on it. That's a mom. That's a dad, ideally. That's the call and the vision of parenting. It's a picture of how God desired you to be mothered and you to be fathered. And it's a picture of how you're to parent your kids. God intended for you to come into the world with people who had a lot more power than you, a lot more money than you, a lot more life experience than you, a lot more control than you, who laid it all aside that you might have life and life in the fullest. That's the design. And remember why. He doesn't just want you to read in a book what he's like. He wants you to taste what he's like to feel it in a mom's bear hug, to feel it in a dad who, instead of treating you as your sins deserve, shows you grace. And it begins to click in your mind, what if God, my father, is kind of like my dad, but way better? What if he mothers me kind of like my mom, but way better? That's the intended click that God is aiming for there. I don't know if this was a few years ago. This might have floated out of our memory, but did, you, did any of you see the NBA draft um, from 2019? There was a guy, uh, he was a, a player at Duke. His name is Zion Williamson, and he was the first, the number one draft pick in the NBA draft that year. This huge guy, he stands up as uh, Nate Silver, the commissioner, calls out his name, and he comes up to the stage, they give him his jersey, take the pictures, and then he heads back to his seat. Uh, ESPN reporter shoves a mic in his face and is trying to do this little like side interview with him as he's going back to his seat. And she says, how would you describe being the number one draft pick? It's a dream you've had since you were five. And Zion uh, immediately chokes up and can't talk. And then kind of blubbers out a few words interspersed with sobs. And he says, this, I wouldn't be here without my mom. 
My mom sacrificed everything for me. She put her dreams aside for mine. She always looked out for her family before herself. I just thank God for it. God gives moms and God gives dads so that you can wrap your head around this true fact. I wouldn't be here without Jesus. He sacrificed everything for me. He put his dreams aside for me. He always looked out for his family before himself. And I just thank God for it. A total immersive experience where you're not just told truths, but you're swimming in realities. Or as a parent, you're the one cultivating some of those realities. Now listen, is this most of yours experience? It can't be. Do you remember how we started? Do you remember who's in the room? This can be frustrating to hear the ideal or the way it's intended to be because maybe now you're, you're experiencing the distance. Maybe even some of you have thought, great family, great parents, and you're like, oh. And if you're a parent in the room, there's just maybe three of us tonight, uh, we're feeling like, oh gosh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on how I parent. But we know that our families, our moms, our dads, and we as children fall short of this. And if you were here last week, if you weren't podcast, if you were, we talked about sin. Sin doesn't create anything. Sin just vandalizes the good things God has made. It warps it. It distorts it. It puts viruses in it. So that what was made to bring life now brings death. And sin distorts fatherhood and masculinity. It distorts motherhood and femininity. It distorts being a child and child development, it distorts the family. And so there's a lot of pain in our families. There's a lot of pain in that space between you and mom, you and dad, even if they're good. And it also distorts every culture's view of family. We don't have time to get into kind of what's a typical Eastern view of a family or a typical Western view of a family, but we're in the West, so we'll at least look at our culture. Ted Tripp's an author that writes a lot about parenting, and he said, Our culture, this is how sin has reduced our view of parenting. Our culture has reduced parenting to merely providing care. Parents often see the task in these narrow terms. A child must have food, clothes, a bed, and some quality time. Or I might add today, um, having every opportunity afforded them that can make them successful. Every team, every tryout, every club, every school. In sharp contrast to such a weak and minimal view of parenting, like barely keeping your kids alive, in sharp contrast to that view, God has called parents to a more profound task than only being a care provider. You shepherd your child on God's behalf. And shepherding is going on whenever you're with your children, whether walking, talking, resting. You are involved in helping your child to understand life, him or herself, and their needs from a biblical perspective. All he's really doing is summing up what we've spent the past 15 minutes talking about. That's the intention. But we said no family mirrors what we've talked about, even though you wished it did. And if you are um, not a Christian, not a believer, if this is all new to you, if you're considering Christianity, I want to ask you, Why do you have an intuitive sense buried deep in your gut of what the perfect mom or dad is? Where did that come from? To what standard are you comparing your family that you critique? Why do you have this intuitive sense of what a healthy family should look like? 
The Bible would say because God made you. That's an Edenic, Eden, Edenic intuition that's, that's baked into you. That's why you see the gap. That's why you see the distance between what it should be and what it is. So here's where we spend the rest of our time. We've talked about what are parents for? What's a family for? What's the intention? And I hope in that you have let your, you felt your heart warm of God's love for you. That's how he wanted you to be raised by your mom and your dad. But we've also talked about, but that's not everyone's experience perfectly. It's not anyone's, not some people's experience anywhere in the ballpark. So what does the road towards restoration and redemption look like? And how can you get on that road? There was a turnpike in Pennsylvania. I'd never experienced what a turnpike was. We don't have them in Georgia. When I, went up, when I lived up there, I was trying to get out to Colorado to visit Anna. It's like a 20-hour drive. And uh, GPS is like, just get on the Pennsylvania turnpike and drive west. So I'm like, OK, great, thinking it's like an interstate. Turnpikes are interstates without entry ramps. Did you know that? They're terrible. So they're like these elevated roads through Philadelphia, and there's no way to get on it. So I literally drove around my first hour of the trip looking at a road, and I couldn't find a way on it. I have to drive like 50 miles to find an entry ramp onto it. What is your entry ramp to the redemption and the restoration and renewal of your family or your relationship with mom and dad? How can you get on that path? The next verse, which is connected to Deuteronomy 6. I could, have put, uh, I could have put, instead of Exodus 20, the same exact verse appears in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is right before what we just talked about, which is the giving of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Honor your father and your mother. We've talked about God's desired posture of parent to child. What about God's desired posture of child to parent? Honor. Honor. We're going to circle back and talk about what does that word mean? What does it look like in real life? But before we do, consider with me all the verbs God could have used but did not. All the things he could have said but did not that we often think he did say but he didn't require of you, does not command of you, and may not expect of you given your circumstances. For example, God did not say, he could have said, he did not say, trust your mother and your father. He did not say, defer to your mother and your father. He could have said that. He did not say in the commandment, obey your mother and your father. Boy, could he have said that. That would have made sense. That, that sounds like the Bible. He didn't say, please your mother and your father. He didn't say, admire your mother and your father. He didn't say, enjoy being in the presence of your mom and your dad. Why not? For the very practical reason uh, that the only world is a fallen, distorted world by sin, originally good, but fallen and being redeemed. And so it is a fact that a lot of parents are not worthy of your trust. They have broken your trust. So for God to call you to trust your mother and your father would be calling and commanding something that's fundamentally impossible of you. For you to enjoy being in the presence of your mom and your dad, well, for various reasons, some moms, some dads, 
really hard to be around. Some parents are, well, some parents are not worthy of respect. Some of you have legitimately, probably by this point in your life, passed your mom and your dad in wisdom and maturity. Some of you have told me you feel like you're raising your parents. You're raising your mom or your dad. Some of you don't, can't trust your parents because they're dangerous to be around or they're toxic to entrust with the fragile things of your life. They might be dangerous to have in the house. So honor does not mean all the things we just said it does not mean, but make a note. Oftentimes we put as synonyms to honor all those things and we end up in a lot of unnecessary hurt and pain thinking that we're just supposed to be doormats or conjure up emotions towards people when it's hard to produce those. God says honor. So what does honor mean? Honor means let your mom and your dad matter to you and to your life. Honor the role that God has given that woman and that man in your life. There's no other woman and no other man. Honor and dignify the role that they play in your, in your life. Honor is not a feeling or an emotion. It's not like feeling warmth inside of yourself or nostalgia. I just love mom, I just love dad. Um, honor is a choice. It's kind of like forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something you're, you feel first, it's something you decide. Honor is something you decide. It's a determined, decided posture towards someone, whether they're worthy of respect, admiration, enjoyment, whatever, or not. It's refusing to belittle them, to cut them out of your life, to be dead to them. It's also a refusal to unflinchingly defer to them or let them steamroll over your life because that's the struggle for some of you in the room. For some of you, your struggle is to honor them. For some of you all, your struggle is what Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and your father. He's not saying unless you feel terrible thoughts about them. He's saying unless, uh, if you have put mom and dad and their agenda for your life above Jesus' agenda, he's saying that's a catastrophic problem. So for some of us, it means cutting out this unflinching deference to mom and your dad. As we begin to kind of wrap this up, I want to end in a very, very practical place. And actually, Scripture itself takes it to a very, very practical place. Ephesians 6 is how we get there. And I want to point something out, because uh, if you were listening, you might be saying, I've already read Ephesians 6. I just jo- looked down and read it, and uh, that's the opposite of what you just said, Ben. You just said, for example, honor doesn't mean obey. Honor doesn't necessarily mean obey. Mom and dad in all circumstances. What's happening In Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. That second verse on your page there. Honor your father and your mother. That is the overarching posture that every human being is to have towards their parents. It's the umbrella principle. But that umbrella principle has tons of different specific applications. Depending on your age and your stage of life. Depending on what your mom and your dad are like, what the relationship's like right now. Paul is saying, overarching principle, honor your mother and your father. As applied to little children, 
It looks like obedience. For example, my five-year-old Noah, there is no conceivable alternative for Noah other than obeying what I've told him to do. He's not at a place where he could successfully pull off an honorable way to say, you know, Dad, I think that's whatever. That's bull. I'm not going to do that. Or there's no way for him to debate with me. And to say, actually, what do you think about this idea? Obedience is what honor looks like for a five-year-old. But what about when Noah becomes 10 or 12? Let's say 12, like 10's not that far longer than that. Well, what about when Noah's 12? What about when he's 19? Is rigid, unquestioning obedience still an appropriate application of honoring his father and his mother? Um, you're screaming on your insides, no, you know it's not. How's that a mark of maturity? Your parents' goal is to raise you in such a way where uh, you can move out into the world equipped and formed on your own to love God and love your neighbor and bless the world. Not to come back every two seconds, Mom, what do I do about this? Dad, what should I do about this? But you have grown in wisdom. So this principle of honor, it's a uh, vulnerable moment. I love stretchy pants. All my jeans are stretchy jeans because they grow with me. This is a stretchy principle. It evolves with you as you get older. It evolves with your parents as they get older. Um, Bailey, could you pull up this chart? I put this because I never do visual things for y'all. Uh, some of you like engineers and math majors are, this is for you. I did this just for you, like an actual chart. Um, look, here is what Ephesians 6, the principle behind it, here's what he's showing you as applied to different circumstances. This axis is time. Vertical axis is power and responsibility. And the child, or y'all, me, are the red line, our power and responsibility. And the blue line is our parents' power and responsibility. When you're a little baby, you have none and they have it all. Uh, when you grow up a little bit and your agency increases, your abilities increases, your responsibilities increase, but also their power decreases. Y'all are probably right at that intersection right there in your college years. If you're the first child out of the house, your parents have never before experienced what it's like to be out of control with their oldest child. For you to have more of the power, more of the responsibility, and a lot of parents don't know how to adapt. And so they're still treating a 19 or 22 year old the way they treated you as an eight year old. And it's provoking you to anger, to exasperation, which is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Fathers, don't exasperate your children in these constrictive, rigid ways of parenting that fit some past version of you but didn't grow with you, didn't anticipate your new needs or your new horizons. Fathers, do not exasperate your children and said, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. I tried to make this just really practical, so here is, here is what I'm thinking is happening here. I'll hold this with me. But these years, your parents, uh, this kind of birth to like toddling years, your parents are loving caregivers. It's food, it's diapers, it's a pacifier, it's bedtime songs. Elementary and middle school years, as you move this way, they're not loving caregivers anymore. Hopefully, they're not doing that for you anymore. But they're loving coaches. They're teaching you the basics of life, showing you how to live well, 
helping you figure, learn who you are, who God says you are, helping you learn how to handle conflict and so on. So from loving caregivers to loving coaches, and in the high school years, they become, and especially in the college years, loving counselors. They can't make decisions for you anymore. That doesn't go well. But hopefully they're still leaning towards you, responding when you ask for their help, when you loop them in, when you consult with them. Hey, Dad, what do you think about this? Hey, Mom, what do you think about this? And they're leaning in and checking your thinking, affirming your thinking, challenging your thinking. And then uh, kind of in college and beyond, they're loving consultants and more, um, more responding to you when you need their help. But here's where, here's where problems happen. Again, it's like a mom or a dad who, like, have you ever been mid-sentence and your mom's like, pulls out a, a napkin and like, rubs some food off your, your lips that was there? You're just like, you feel demeaned. Like, what are you doing? That's, a, that's, a, that's someone who's never grown out of a caregiver and is exasperating her son or her daughter. And God intends your parents to grow with you. But here's where we get to the very last piece. Your parents are not God. They're not perfect. They're sinners. They're fallen. They're distorted too. They're figuring it out. Again, if you're the first one out of the house, they've never done it before. There is no roadmap for them. There is no, well, this worked with your older sister. You're the first. Or you might be the first daughter out of the house or the first son of their house. They're having to figure it out as they go how to open their hands, hands that have been closed for 18 years, helping you, coaching you, caring for you, and now they're letting go. And for y'all, it can feel like a tug of war. On the phone, it can feel like a tug of war. When you see them, when you're home for Christmas break, it can feel like a tug of war. Curfew, using the car, using money. So how can you, what's the ultimate answer for how you can love your parents with more grace and more patience and more compassion? Let me cut to the chase. Only if you've received the gracious love of your true father. Because you're not a perfect child. I'm not a perfect child. We are certainly, certainly not perfect children of the father, of our maker, of our God. We have fallen short every minute of every day. We have lived thankless lives with him. We have spurned him. We've run from him. And Romans 8 is talking about, and and yet, what have you received from him? The effect, the fruit of the gospel, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was to the end that you would be adopted as a legitimate son, as a legitimate daughter of this father. If If you have received this kind of love and grace and mercy from him, you don't need your parents to be perfect. That box is checked. I'm not saying their imperfection doesn't hurt you or weigh on you or feel pain, but you have a perfect father. You have tasted unconditional love or are learning it. You have received the patience of the Lord. You have received his provision, and it affords you the wiggle room to begin learning what honor for your mom or your dad looks like. Only those who have received and tasted the grace and mercy of God can give grace and mercy to other people, namely your parents. Otherwise, you'll be bitter with them forever. You'll be holding them to an impossible standard forever. And there will be no progress or no thaw in the relationship. I know I've been talking for a while. What can you do this week 
for some of you, pick up the phone, call mom or dad, and don't just let them know what you did this week, but how the week affected you. For some of you, as you move out towards greater responsibility, Maybe it's time to consider a part-time job to lessen your parents' financial burden and to say, I really appreciate what y'all have given to me and I want to contribute to the family. For some of you, you're working three jobs. Faith for you, growth for you might look like saying, asking for help, honoring your parents. Saying, mom and dad don't like to ask for help, but I really want to go on this conference and I've got like barely any of the money. I don't feel... You should ask for a scholarship. I don't feel comfortable asking. So you call and ask him. That could look like honoring your parents. Next time you're home for a break, honoring your parents for some of you could look like schedule time with them. They miss you. They love you. For others of you, your parents are like all over you and don't let you leave the house. And it might be time for a conversation to say, mom and dad, my whole future is apart from y'all and away from y'all, not in your roof. Um, I've got plans with friends tonight. I love you but I've got plans with friends tonight. It's a wisdom call in that situation where you're taking this posture of dignifying your mom and your dad because of the role that they have and applying it in specific circumstances. We need to leave it there. If you have questions about your family, your mom, your dad, your life, talk to some people around you or come find me afterwards. I'd love to hear about it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I um, would just ask, I know, I just look at the faces in the room and I remember conversations with my friends. Or I know that these words have landed heavy with some. Or they've sparked thoughts they've never had before. So Jesus, I pray that you would connect everyone in the room with the needs that they feel after hearing from you tonight um, with the resources that they need. I especially pray that we would taste divine mercy and grace from you, that we might become people who can give it to others, even our parents. We ask this in your name, Jesus, amen.